Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Last week, I focused on Joshua 3 verse 5, which as Anne read, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. And I spoke about the necessity of consecration before conquest. I will do wonders. You're about to go and take Jericho and take every subsequent city in Canaan. So there's possession, there's conquest, but the prerequisite is consecrate your, yourself. In Exodus 19, you'll read something similar where God said through Moses to Israel that they must consecrate themselves within three days. Everyone say within three days. And so we, we, we took upon that and we looked at what does third day in Scripture represent. Everyone say third day. Uh, third day in Scripture. Initially, we said it will represent intensive consecration. That's the first bullet point on the list there. Intensive consecration. And I want you to focus on this because this is a word from God. And I know every time God gives us words to share here and to teach, it's not like that we don't have nothing to teach and we just say, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, what shall I teach today? Right? No, we hear God, what we attempt to do distinctly and definitively, and we share the mind of God for the people in that week. This came as a now word from God. I know that every time God shares a now word, the enemy always seeks to undermine that word. How does he seek to undermine the word? The enemy will seek to undermine the word by people embarking upon behavioral patterns in direct contradiction to that word. Okay? And you must be very, very aware of this. Another way of putting this would be like this. If God shares his word or his thoughts with you in a particular respect, in one dimension, in the very same areas you will be tested in reference to what he has said. So if I say to you, the word came last week, God is calling us for intensive consecration. Do you know what your battles have been like this week? It has been battles of purity. Battles to keep yourself pure, undefiled. Because that was the word that came. So every word, when it comes, positions you for a specific test. The seed that fell in the parable of the sower, there were four kinds of soil. The seed that fell upon the rocks is described like this. Um, it has no roots. The man hears the word, but he has got no root in himself. And then it says, when trials come because of the word. Listen carefully. That's in Matthew 13. There are certain trials that come simply because of what you hear. Okay? The more kind of word you're exposed to, that word will always test you. Right? And as a particular area of trial and suffering will come in reference to what you have heard. It is said of, of Joseph, for example, remember he had dreams, right? dreams about rulership. And Psalm 105 says this concerning Joseph, until his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So the word for rulership will never come to pass Yes, you are going to rule and you will be a ruler in Egypt. Your brothers will one day bow to you, so will your parents bow to you. 
because he had those visions. Remember, he saw sun, moon, stars bowing to him, right? So, but the word says before his word, that prophecy, before it was fulfilled, it says the word tested him. So before the word is fulfilled, the word will test you. And based upon your passing of the test will determine whether that word be fulfilled. So Joseph was subjected to a number of tests. For example, a test of personal purity. When Potiphar's wife made overtures to him to sleep with her. And he desisted. He passed the purity test. What was happening all the while? Why was God putting Joseph in test after test after test? For example, he passed the faithfulness test. Because the Bible says Potiphar put him in charge of all his household as a steward. So he proved faithful to care for something that is not his. He was faithful with that which is another man's. And faithfulness with that which is another man's qualified him for God to give him things over which he can be faithful, which will be his. So he passed a number of tests. In prison, the head waiter favored him and made him, not the head waiter, the head jailer. Okay, I lost some people wait in prison. Some people are head waiters. Okay, waiting for too long. Right? The head jailer made him uh, chief in charge of all of the prisoners. Even there, did not abuse his authority. He proved faithful. He ministered and he interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler at a time when his own dreams remain unfulfilled. So he's passing test after test after test. The ultimate test that Joseph had to pass was when the brothers would come back to him and he had to forgive them. What was God doing? Submitting the man to test after test after test until the word of the Lord tested him. Only then will his word come to pass. Everyone say intensive consecration. When I say intensive consecration, don't think only morally. Don't think that you must keep yourself clean sexually. Or I'm talking intensive consecration holistically past every single test that God is going to bring along your path. Just pass all the tests and you'll see how the Lord uh, will work for you. And then we, we, we spoke to this fact that third day, if you track it throughout scriptures then, intensive consecration being the first application prophetically. Then we looked at deep-seated intimacy. And this I want you to practice. Anyone say intimacy. This I want you to practice. And it's not based on how long you pray or if you, how long you're fasting or in the number of times you're fasting. Intimacy is born out of a knowledge that you are God's son and God is your papa, he's your daddy, he's your, he's your father. And you must have the sense of confident assurance that wherever I am, God is with me, he takes care of me. Be aware of his presence. Be aware of the, of the relationship that you have come into as his son. You have come into the highest level of relationship that any human being can engage in reference to God. And that is to be a son to a father. That's a wonderful privilege. Yes, times of prayer, times of intimacy will enhance that position. Right? So when you pray, become intimate. Don't become automatic and just routinely go through your times 
even of reading your Bible, but have the sense I'm reading His Word. This is His message to me. He's going to speak to me. I'm going to hear something. He's going to tug at my heart. He's going to unveil things to me. In other words, be sensitive. Everyone say sensitive. Sometimes you don't think deeply enough concerning our relationship with the, with the Lord. God's going to speak to me uh, as I set myself to study tomorrow morning. If I sit in my office and I open my laptop and I'm going to study His Word. It's not, it's not routine. It's not automatic. I love God. He loves me. I'm His son. He's my papa. He's going to take care of me and He's going to speak to me. Okay? Intimacy. It's going to be a season of prophetic fulfillment. I'm not going to go through all of this. We went through this last week, but I explained each of these principles last week. It's on my website if you want to listen to an explanation of why each of these facets denote something referable to a third day. Okay, the miraculous um, health, healing, the completion of time, resurrection, reinstatement, the release from confinement, enlargement of spheres, uh, the specificity of God's will, what was general, is going to now become very specific. And that like Hezekiah who was healed and God added 15 years to his life, remember and God said to him, as I add 15 years to your life, right, you'll be healed on the third day, God said to him, I'll add 15 years to your life, but set your heart towards the house of the Lord. Right? A reprioritization on the house of the Lord. Subjection to fathering as Jesus was found after three days, remember, in the temple and he subjected himself to Mary and Joseph. Some of you need to be found, I said last week, because they found in the temple and he was greatly more subjected to the principle of fathering. We spoke about redirected zeal um, as uh, Paul was persecuting the church with great zeal. But after three days he received his sight after he met the Lord, and Ananias gave him definition as to his calling. Right? I've chosen you, God said to him, to be my instrument, to bear my name before the Gentiles. What you're doing up to this point was great. Zealous, but missing the mark. Now Ananias comes to him and brings focus to the will of God for his life. Who wants greater focus? I'm trusting God for greater focus. Is that we can do a lot of things, be very busy, and accomplish nothing. But the zeal must be redirected. Directed. And then it speaks of a launch of a public ministry um, as Jesus was launched to public ministry in his day. Okay, Restoration of previously forfeited function. So where you've lost things and uh, positions and, and, and places you've occupied in terms of functionality, like the butler, uh, Joseph interpreted his dream and said, in three days your position will be restored to you. Everyone say third day. Now, I keep sharing this in the WhatsApp group, the church WhatsApp group, because I really want to encourage you. So I want to leave that now and go on to other things. But you must rehearse the word. You yourself must do it. Don't wait for Randolph to say, do this. It must become a culture with you. The more you meditate on the word, the more you position yourself to prosper in the word that, that, the, Lord, that the Lord has said to us. Amen. I want to now, and just for about 40 minutes, minister on the next part in this current series. This current series is defined or described as grace reigns through righteousness. We define righteousness as the predetermined eternal standard or design of God 
by which all sons of God on the earth should subscribe to and live. There is a design of God. Everyone say a design. There's a pattern for every aspect of life that God expects you to live by. There's a design for your marriage. Hope you guys are following the marriage manual. Yes? We end on, I think, soon, on the 5th of September. We started on the 5th of August. 31 days ends on the 5th of September. We're going to go through it again. I think if you want to, do it again. Okay, I have another one that I got from Trinidad, from Vishnu. But I want to encourage you. It's been, I had a testimony from Canada this week of how that um, someone which we asked to do it with them is, has revolutionized, revolutionized their marriage. Okay, any married persons are here, especially guests, and you want this resource, please see me, it's free. It's a 31-day marriage devotional. It takes about 10 minutes a day. You'll do it with your spouse, but it really challenges you in certain areas too to upgrade and to make your marriage far better. Okay? And I want to encourage you, if you've lost track with this, please get back on track, but do it. It's going to be, uh, it's going to greatly benefit, uh, benefit you. Amen? So, in every area, in your marriage, in your finances, you must be righteous. Everyone say, be righteous. When I say be righteous, I'm saying be compliant to God's design. Be align what you're doing to God's way of doing things. And then we said that, yes, you are positionally righteous in Christ. But positional righteousness must translate into practical righteousness. You're not going to be practically righteous because 1 John 3.17 says the following. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous everyone say practice righteousness a lot of people say i am righteous first john 3 7 a lot of people say i am righteous but this verse says positionally yes you are but what is true of you positionally we want to see now practically so you must be a righteous practitioner who practices righteousness that's the one who is righteous just as he is is righteous in romans 11 33 please track with me today because this, this is going to be a very important teaching i'm going to go through several scriptures to illustrate the point romans 5 verse 17 for if by the transgression of one death reign through the one much more those who receive the two things the abundance of grace everyone say abundance of grace and say the gift of righteousness will reign in heaven no where reign in where must you reign? Now in life. Two things you need to reign now in life are an abundance of grace and what else? And the, the gift of righteousness. You received the gift of righteousness when you got saved and you said yes to Jesus. Now that you have that gift, that must be practically expressed in your behavior. You've got to live right. And as you start to live right, go on to verse 21. As you now start to, to live right, this says sin reigns in death, so grace reigns where? Grace would reign through righteousness, so grace requires righteousness in which to reign. Grace's twin is righteousness, right? Jeremy said grace is the, the content and righteousness the context, right? The context is righteousness, the content is grace. In other words, if you want this thing called the grace of God, I need an abundance of grace. What does grace look for to thrive in? God to me, 
Right? Everyone say righteousness. Say do the right thing. Say practice righteousness. Listen carefully. To do the right thing, you need grace in the first place. Right? By grace, you can obey God. And when you inculcate a pattern of obedience with regularity, what you're going to find is that more grace will attend you because grace finds that context, the ideal context in which to thrive. And if anything you need to energize you to, as the reason for your success in life, it would be the grace of God. I don't know about you, but what I need is more grace. If I say, God, more grace, God says, consecrate yourself. For tomorrow I will do wonders among you. Come prepare, uh, do right, intensive consecration, my son. Because grace will be the reason for your successes. But grace needs a conduit. Grace needs a context in which to camp and to thrive. And that context is righteousness, a gift that you already received because you believed in Christ. But now that by your behavior, you must practically do and practice the righteousness that God has led you. We then looked at a bunch of scriptures. Psalm 84 verse 11. I'm going to remind you before I go on to what I need to say today. Psalm 84 verse 11. You should be able to quote it by now. Come on, church. It says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. What does he give? Two things. He gives grace and he gives glory. No good thing. And I spent a whole sermon just on the, word, on the words good thing. No good thing does he withhold from those that walk uprightly. Everyone say upright. Everyone do this, just like quickly, like lift something like upright. Say upright. So God says, when I see upright, what comes to upright? Good things. Keep, everyone say keep this. Keep the uprightness so that the good things can come. Okay? So that good things can come. So watch. Everyone say he gives grace. But grace looks for what? Uprightness. Grace needs a context called righteousness on which to land. Okay? Righteousness on which to land. Genesis 6 verse 8, quickly in the New King James. Noah found what? If, what did Noah find? Come on. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. And Noah was what kind of man? What does the word just mean? Righteous. He finds grace because of righteous behavior. When the whole world is living away from God's standards, this man, the power of one, one man in a whole world full of people, the whole earth populated with people, he stands against prevailing circumstances and tides. And the Bible says he practiced justice and righteousness. And verse 8 says God offloads grace to him. Right? He finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. My favorite, Proverbs 4 verse 18. Come on, you should be able to quote it by now. Yes? Proverbs 4 verse 18, but the path of what? The path of the righteous is what? Like what? Like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. If you want a path called brighter and brighter, if you want a life called month by month brighter and brighter, if you want an experience called year by year brighter and brighter, not darker and darker, Brighter and brighter, what you need to do is practice righteousness. There's something called the path of the righteous that God makes brighter and brighter even to the coming of the noonday. Psalm 5 verse 12, quickly. 
The NASB for it is, you who blesses the righteous. The righteous man is blessed. You surround him with favor. The word favor there means grace. So you surround the righteous man with grace as with a, a shield. The same verse in the BBE version says it powerfully. says it, for you, O Lord, will send a blessing on the upright. Your grace will be round him. Blessing on the upright and your grace will be around him. Another one of my favorites, which you know, Proverbs 22, verse 11. Right? I'm saying, I, if I were you, I would take all of these grace and righteous scriptures that connect grace and righteousness. I memorize them. I rehearse them. I lock them into my spirit because I need grace to make me successful. Not so. Right? It is he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is what gracious the king is his friend okay so if you have a pure heart your lips will be full of grace and god brings influential people to favor you kings are your kings will be your will be your friend okay now that's basically by way of rehearsal we've spent i think about a sermon or more on each of those verses it's available on my website if you want to go into each, each of those in far greater detail. I've rehearsed that to remind you that please do not be deceived. Everybody listen to me very carefully. Do not be deceived. That you can do your own thing and flagrantly flout biblical principles and still simultaneously expect blessing. It's not going to happen. You have to make up your mind, am I going to live for God or not? If I'm going to compromise, if I know what God says about a matter in His Word, and I'm still at this point saying, I know what you said, God, but I, I elect by my own will to do my own thing. But simultaneously, Father, as I do this, bless me in the process. God, I hear the Lord saying, no, no, no. Tell your people I demand intensive consecration. Right? Uh, don't think that God will overlook certain things. The Bible says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, may it never be. May it never be. A few, moments, a few weeks ago, I told you to stop telling lies. Right? Don't, don't employ deceit at any level. <coughs> okay? Now I'm going to introduce this topic now and finish it off next week. I want to talk now, uh, based upon that backdrop, on the relationship between righteousness and integrity. The topic is integrity. You and I must become men and women of seamless, impeccable integrity. You must be blameless. It's one of the requirements for an elder, by the way. He must be blameless, not having spoiled reputation. The Bible says, especially from those that are without the church, those outside of the precincts of church. Blameless. Repeat after me. Impeccable. Integrity. Now please, I'm, you see, my responsibility is for this house. My burden for this house is that at every level, we must be known as some of the people of the highest integrity. Right? The highest standards of righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. Impeccable integrity. Seamless integrity. Blameless, no one being able to point the finger and say, yes, but what about that? Right? God expects us to be blameless, not so? 
And let me encourage you, the standard of God in the expectation of God is always the empowerment of God for you to reach the standard. Don't think the standards are too lofty for you to attain. I'm saying to you, if you truly understand the nature of grace, God will give you the power to live that way. If you harness the power of grace. Some of you might be sitting there and say, this is overwhelming, it's far too much. I'm saying to you, relax. Tell someone, just relax. Relax. You know why? Grace will get the job done as soon as you harness it. Right? If you're battling to overcome pornography, access grace. Thank you. Access the grace of God. Amen? Battling to overcome your lies, misrepresentation. The grace of God will cause you to be successful. And I, I gave you a whole lesson on that. How that the grace of God can cause us to live successfully. Okay. Now, let me talk about integrity for a while. Because this is something very, very close to my heart. And this is going to be the new requirement for the house. I want you to focus on this word for the next two weeks. And examine your life at every level. Ask yourself this question. Am I a woman of integrity? Am I a man of integrity? Am I a husband of integrity? Am I a wife of integrity? Am I a mother to my children of integrity? Am I a father to my kids of integrity? Do I have integrity in the workplace? In reference to my employer as an employee, right? If I am an employer, how I manage my business, am I a boss of integrity in reference to those that are subordinate to me? Do I practice integrity amongst my friends, my social sphere, right? Now you might ask, so what on earth is integrity if it's so important? Let me first give you a list of scriptures that correlate directly standards of righteousness and the matter of integrity. Okay, watch. Proverbs 20 verse 7 <clears throat> says the following. Proverbs 20 verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity. How blessed are his sons of them. Next week I'm going to talk about the blessings of integrity. You will see how the Bible talks much about the blessings of integrity. One of them is right here. Your kids will be blessed. I'm saying, fathers, mothers, and adults here, if for nothing else, but for the sake of the legacy of your children, live right. If for nothing else, leave them at least a pattern of behavior in your life where you say, my parents were people of righteousness. They were people of integrity. Because those that subscribe to integrity leave a blessing for their kids. And I'll show you how next week. Right? Psalm 15 verse 2 says, He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. I love this. You see, you've got to have an integrous walk and a righteous work. It says you walk with integrity and you work what? You work righteousness. So you never are able to practice righteousness until you've ratified this position within your heart that I am going to be a person of the highest levels of integrity. Come hell or come high water, I will do the right thing. I will please God no matter what, even to my own hurt, 
because that is the basis upon which I will begin to work out my righteousness. A commitment that is not resolved in reference to the matter of a subscription to integrity will not lead to righteous practice. The practice, righteously, would be the outworking of the resolve internally of the man and woman that is resolved to be a man and woman of the highest levels of integrity. It's going to be very important that you give serious consideration to this. Psalm 25 verse 21 says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. I'll, I'll talk to the blessings next week, like I said, but in the blessing of integrity is the whole idea of preservation. David was very clear. If I live this way, I, I, I erect an invisible wall and a shield round about me. It's protecting and it's preserving me. So long as I maintain this thing, I will be preserved. Last night, I'm not sure what happened on the bluff. You sure, um, those of you who lived there heard those shots, gunfire. It sounded like AKs close to my house and, and, and uh, like a handgun. It went on for about a minute or so. My dogs went crazy. They ran in. Uh, I wanted to go see what's happening. My wife helped me back. <laughs> you know, and I, you know the scripture, I, was, I wasn't perturbed. My neighbor came out, Randy, what's happening here? I still must find out. But you know, and the scripture just hit me. A thousand will fall beside me. Ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. I want to encourage you, protection and immunity are realities. Preservation is a very, very real thing. But the moment your integrity is compromised, you open a door, you break the hedge, and you become vulnerable to all sorts of attacks by the enemy. But integrity will keep the shield. Integrity will always pre-preserve you. Okay? Now, I want to discuss what integrity refers to. Just one more, one more quickly. Uh, Psalm 7 verse 1. It's a lovely portion. It says, the Lord judges the people. Vindicate me, O God, according to my righteousness and the integrity that is within me. Sorry, I've I must have referenced the, long, the wrong verse. It's in Psalm 7 somewhere. Okay? David said this, Vindicate me according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is, with, that is within me. So can you see, I've tried to demonstrate, 7 verse 8 is the right verse. I've tried to demonstrate that in Scripture the words righteousness are used almost synonymously with integrity. Okay? Do we all agree? Yeah? So, come on church, work with me here. What are we exploring? Our theme is grace reigning through righteousness. The issue of righteousness has got to do with subscribing to the predetermined plans of God for all aspects of our life. We have the gift of righteousness, but we must practice righteousness. And I want to, within the righteousness domain, present to you the matter of integrity from the scriptures. Now look at what the word means. The Hebrew word is tomei. T-O-M-E. Easy word. Everyone say tomei. That's how it's pronounced. Tom. T-O-E-M-E. But pronounced tomei. And this word, if you're writing notes, it's one and two. There are two nuances to tomei. And 
the, the first nuance, let me give you a batch of words. Tomei or integrity from a Hebrew mind means two things. Get this into your mind. means two things. Everyone say two things. The one will determine the other. Right? So essentially the first part of the meaning, I'll give you a list of words that are translated in English as integrity from the Hebrew Tomei. These are the words synonymous with integrity. Innocence. Everyone say innocence. Say simplicity. Say blamelessness. Say uprightness. Now that is from a Hebrew dictionary. I got those compendium of words from a Hebrew dictionary. Say it again, but say it loudly. Say innocence. Say simplicity. Say blamelessness. Say uprightness. Now, come on, do this, say uprightness. I don't know why this got to me. <laughs> you know, we live, we live erect life. We're not bending in the rules and, and, and being shrewd. We, we are straight down the line people, right? We are upright, okay? That's the one nuance of the word. But the other nuance of the word, which I believe is a result of all of that, is this. Everyone say completeness and fullness. You check it out for yourself. Google integrity when you get back home today. Look at the Bible dictionaries you have. Each of them will tell you integrity got two streams to it. The one is innocence, simplicity, blamelessness, and uprightness. And the other is, everyone do this. <laughs> Just do this. <laughs> now listen, okay, you're not flexing muscle here. I'm doing this to say uh, full, say full, complete. I'm doing this for a reason. So you've got innocence, simplicity, blamelessness, uprightness. And all of that will make you, ha. Huh, all of that will make you full. All of that will make you together. All of that will make you secure and complete. Now, I have the Oxford Word Finder dictionary on myself. It's a thick dictionary like that, that my mother-in-law gave me. Right? Because she's a scrabble lady. To find all the secret words. So listen, listen carefully to what the Reader's Digest Oxford Complete Word Finder Dictionary says. I looked it up and I looked up integrity. You know what amazed me? The same English contemporary dictionary says it has two streams. Corroborating what Greek and Hebrew scholars say about the Hebrew word. Right? Now, this dictionary says it, has, it means moral uprightness and honesty on the one hand, and on the second hand, wholeness and soundness. So you can't have one without the, without the other. Okay? Uh, I love the, the specific dictionary because it lists, listen carefully, moral uprightness and honesty. Everyone say honesty. Right? For moral uprightness, I need to say these words. I'm going to say a couple of words now that this dictionary gives as synonyms for integrity based upon these two streams. So, for moral uprightness, and factor these words into your, into your spirit. As I list them, you must hold them and say, God, that's me. I'm going to live that way. I'm going to subscribe to that. So, for moral Uprightness. Everyone say moral uprightness. In fact, just repeat these words loud after me as I say. It gives the following synonym. Say rectitude. Say righteousness. 
Say decency. Say honor. Say a principled person. Say a moral person. A good person. Virtuous person. Say incorruptible. Now that's what a secular dictionary is telling us. That if you're going to be integrous, you must be incorruptible. They can, you know corruption is rife in South Africa, right? Especially in politics. This dictionary says stay free from corruption or defilement at any level. Keep yourself pure. And then for honesty, it gives the following synonym. Say probity. Say purity. Say veracity. Say trustworthiness. And then it puts in brackets, no lies. That's the one band, the moral uprightness and honesty together with a host of synonyms. That's the one stream. Now you come to, ha, everyone say ha. If we have that in place, you have completeness, wholeness, and soundness. And this dictionary gives the following synonyms for this. Say coherence. Now watch, if something is, it lacks coherence, it lacks consistency. The, the ladies will know when you're mixing for baking, not so. You want to see a consistency, a consistent whole. If the mixture lacks consistency, it's literally incoherent. Where the mixture is not complete or not full. So everyone say coherence, say consistency, and say validity. Okay, now it's very important that we say to all of these terms, yes, that's me, I'm the one to live that way. Tell yourself, now I'm going to live a pure life, I'm going to hold to standards, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm, I'm going I'm to secure principles in my life that recruit the blessing of God unto me. You've got to make up your mind today. Are you going to be a, a boy of integrity? Yes, say yes. Hallelujah, he says yes. You see, when you are morally upright, you're honest. There's veracity, transparency, no corruption. You seek to be blameless, honest, person of honest candor, etc. You subscribe to that, and the second part of the nuance of this word comes to be a blessing in your life. You're complete, you're whole, you're sound, consistent. You have a sense of coherence about your character. Okay? A sense of coherence about your, about your character. So I wrote you in my notes, listen carefully, I'm going to read this because sometimes I don't say things how I write them. I said here, there is an honest candor, this is my new favorite word, say candor. Candor simply means frankness, truth. Or you say, oh, she has wonderful candor, means not just she speaks her mind, it means she's transparent, she's true to truth. Right? No duplicity, no deceit. Right? Come on, say honest candor. You must be a person of honest candor. Now, honest, there is honest candor and frankness that is expected of us as we pursue integrity. Even to the point of your own hurts. How are you, Jaden? Oh, I'm well, but you're not well. I'm saying don't even lie at that level. Where you say, someone questions you, how are things? And if you want to maintain an image, you say, no, all is well. I know there's a place to say, it is well, like the Shunammite woman said. Her son died, remember? And the, they asked her, is it well with you? She said, it is. 
that's not denying the reality of a circumstance. For her, that was a faithful, positive proclamation that all will be well. So she was asserting a future reality in contradiction to present prevailing conditions. I'm not talking about, it. yes, there's a place for faithful responses. But I'm saying, at times, we must just be honest and say, someone asks you, how's the brew house things going? It's not, you're not, it's not wrong to say, hey, bro, I'm battling with something. Or I'm going through something. That is more integrous. That's my new favorite word to say, integrous. I learned this word. I don't think there's such a word in the English dictionary. I think Pastor Tamo made it up. <laughs> okay. I learned it from him. We, we got to be integrous at all levels where you say, someone says to me, how's things, are you, how's things with you and Renee? And the things are not saying, I can't present a front and say, all oh, things are hunky-dory. We are on a new level. When I come home, there's no level. Hmm? You guys know, truth, veracity, honesty at all level, I'm battling with this. How things are going, bro? Hey, pastor, someone came to me yesterday after the conference. I'm battling with masturbation after the singles conference. I was shocked at the person's uh, candor and frankness and transparency. And we sat down and, um, for about 20 minutes and we spoke. I appreciate that more than someone simply parading spirituality and presenting a front. Meantime, you're going serious battles at home. Huh? And you're not overcoming certain things. Okay? Um, it's very important. I, I wrote here, but this must be pure and holy. You know why? Some people will take this message. And you want to be, I'm saying be sensitive and be led by the Spirit. Yeah? You don't just open your heart to anybody also. You don't just reveal things that you're struggling with anyone. It must be with someone you absolutely trust. It has your confidence. You will not, not, will, will not be on Facebook tomorrow. Right? Or be public knowledge. Okay? It must be, it must be, it must be with people you trust. And I wrote here and I bolded it in my notes. I wrote here all traces of deceit, dishonesty, listen carefully. Deceit, dishonesty, conniving, secret dealings, scheming, trickery. Cheating, underhandedness, exploitive and manipulative tendencies must not be a feature of those who subscribe to righteousness. Don't do things under the table. Don't wheel and deal. I'm telling you, think, brethren, from my experience, things find you out. If not now, comes back later, sometimes years later to bite you. You'd rather say, I'm going to live Right from now, day dot, I'm going to subscribe to honest living. Job said this in Job 31 verse 5 and 6. Watch Job 31 verse, verse 5 and 6. If I have walked with falsehood, watch he said, and my foot has hastened after deceit, let him, let God weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. I will show you more bolder prayers that David prayed about this matter. Yeah, Job stands before God and says, literally, God, what is going on in my life? 
you know, I've, I've lived right. I hate evil. The Bible says, Job was a man who hated evil. He only did good. Yet God permitted the enemy to attack him because God had another agenda in mind. And let me just say this to you. Sometimes you suffer because you break the hitch. You disobey and you leave a doorway open for the enemy to attack you. Yes, that's true. But also, sometimes you are attacked for righteousness sake. Yeah. Job didn't commit any overt sin yeah, at the start. Right? But the devil was unleashed upon his life for God to prove something to Satan that God's choice of Job as a son was a valid, legitimate choice. And that Job didn't serve God for the benefits, but because of his heart of devotion and honor to God himself. And he makes this, let's read this verse again. Go back to verse 5. Job says an amazing thing here. If I have walked with falsehood, and if my foot has hastened after deceit, let him judge me, let him weigh me with accurate scales, with right balances, and let God know my integrity. You see, brethren, we can fool each other here, right? But there's a God whom we cannot fool, and Job is convinced if God does a forensic analysis of my life and checks out the details with a microscope, with microscopic attention to detail, Job is convinced at the end of this examination, God himself will know that I'm a man of integrity. That's an amazing claim. And he's old covenant, by the way, guys. We're in a new covenant with better power, better promises. Amen. Now tell your neighbor, you can be integrous. Come on, tell you, you can be integrous. I will challenge you, those of you who are Facebook users, for the next two weeks, find every verse on integrity. Put one verse up a day. I flood the internet with biblical principles and verses, as you know. Why do I do that? I want every space of my life, and social media is a space of your life. There's a digital reality that's become part of normal society. Today, it's called social media. Right? And I fill every space in my life with whatever God is pressing to bear upon my need at that point in time in my life. And I'm saying this for all of us here for the next two weeks. Everyone say two weeks. Right? I will share, I will email these notes to you so you can start to rehearse them. But look at the scriptures. You know when you post a scripture, for example, to social media, to Twitter or Facebook, or picture to Instagram, whichever. You consist, I do it, yes, to inform others, to provoke others, to bless, to challenge others in my world digitally. But I also do it as a reminder to, my, to myself, because that is a, a significant space of life for those of you who are active social media users. You know, So it's a reminder to me always when I see it, hey, righteous standards. Okay, Live righteously. So I want to encourage you, Fullness and completeness. Now, do you know in building terms or in engineering terms, they use the word integrity to assess the strength of structures? You've heard the term using building contexts? Okay. I wrote you in my notes. In engineering, in engineering struct, they call it structural integrity. Structural integrity and failure 
is an aspect which deals with the ability of structure to support a designed load or weight or force without breaking, tearing apart, or collapsing. And it includes a study of the breakage point that has previously occurred in order to prevent the failure in future designs. Okay? Have you example you've seen a block of steel or a piece of steel that they use in high-rise buildings? Right? Normally, they would cast the platform, the foundations cast the platform, and then they will erect the steel structure. Not so. And they start to brick up. The, the. Now, that steel has got to be tested for its integrity. They have to assess, especially if it's a high-rise building, will the steel bear the weight of the load that's going to be put upon it? So what they would do in laboratories, the SABS in our country would do this, the South African Bureau of Standards, they would take the product and they would subject it to force and various degrees of pressure to determine at what point will the steel break, right? And so whenever steels of various uh, calibers are produced, they would prescribe it to be used on certain buildings of certain heights or certain buildings holding certain weights. Because they know if you use the wrong steel for the wrong structures, guess what is compromised? The whole building, right? Everyone say breakage point. So in, even in the building sphere and in, in engineering, they refer to things like the integrity of the building. And for example, if a building falls, you'll see in newspaper reports words like the integrity of the structure was already compromised based upon the materials used. Now when I said to you, completeness, remember I said wholeness, soundness together. There's something in you that, for example, when you live a blameless life before God and you say, God, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to do the wrong thing, I will seek to do the right thing all the time. I told you that's one nuance of the word, but the other nuance was coherence, consistency, togetherness, and completeness. Not so? The one makes the other. Little do you know, listen carefully, whenever you live rightly, what you are doing to the fabric of your spirit is making it solid, making it complete, making it robust, making it integrous to handle certain weights in life. So that when the chips are down, you don't crumble. You don't fall. You don't buckle under the pressure of, let's say, a trial or even a God-like responsibility. It could be, watch, Think of, I'm thinking of, uh, who was David's son? Solomon. Solomon, unlike his father, had no preparation process for his life personally. He was born into the royal family. David is his father. David dies. A young Solomon comes to the throne. Not so? Think about how David came to the throne compared to his son Solomon. David anointed at 17. The trial by King Saul who hated him. He's a fugitive for 13 years of his life in which God tested him variously. At 30, he comes to the throne having been tested severely in character. David had the character for the throne, not just the anointing for the throne. Solomon had the anointing for the throne, not the character for the throne. And what's going to save you 
is not your anointing. What's going to preserve you for the life going forward is who you are. Your character in Him. Okay? Your character in Christ. So watch, let me just explain this by drawing some reference to, to something which I want to talk about. In our past series on the grace of God, I explained the connection between glory and grace. Remember? And I say this to you, the goal of grace is glory. I said grace is the invisible composite nature of God as a spirit being. But the glory of God is that aspect of the nature of God which people see outwardly. They put, you, you put on display the glory of God. John 1 says, we beheld His glory full of grace and truth. Okay, I just put it up. I think it's John 1, what, 16 or so? Verse 14. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So everyone say, we saw His glory. Hebrews 1.3, quickly, before we go here. Hebrews 1.3. He, who's He here? He's Jesus, right? The Bible says, He is the radiance of His. He's here as the Father, so He, the Son, is the reflection or the radiance of His Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Now, go back to John 1.14. Everyone say glory and say exact representation of His nature. So, what is glory? Glory from that verse is simply the exact representation of His nature. So, when do you put the glory of God, of God on display? When you can represent the nature of God, when they see the nature of God, what have they seen? The glory of God. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. That doesn't mean some cloud covering the whole earth. It means sons of God all over the planet who exactly represent God will be all over the world doing that. Now each of you, come on, just take, take to the person next to you, the glory of God in you is His nature, is His exact representation of his nature the exact representation of his nature in other words all of us must represent him how say exactly say exactly say it again exactly and say to your neighbor i mean exactly like <laughs> exactness you see, accuracy is when the archer shoots and he hits bullseye. That's an accurate guy. But exactness is when the other archer shoots and splits the arrow that hit bullseye. Exactness is like there's no room for error. It's pinpoint accuracy. Say exactly. The exact representation of his nature. And I'm doing an introspection in my say, God, in every respect am I exactly representing you. You see, if I exactly represent him, I put what on display for men to see? His glory, right? But for that to happen, the word of God must become flesh in my flesh. My flesh, the principles of God's word, must become power in my life. And then we see glory. But here's the point. You see, it says, you see, the glory full of what? So what is if? Anything has got glory, what two things must it be full of? Grace and 
truth. But I just taught you, what is grace looking for? Righteousness. Grace itself looks for righteousness. And I'm in reference to today's study. Integrity is an essential part of righteousness. Listen carefully. Because if you look at the Greek word for glory and the Hebrew word for glory, what's the Hebrew word for glory? Kabod, right? And it literally means weights. Now, everyone do this. Put your hand up like this. And say, wait. God is a heavyweight. He's not a lightweight. God has got substance. It's called glory. Come on, say it again. God is a heavyweight. And let me just say this to you. If God's glory must come upon you, make sure you have structure in you to handle the weight lest you crumble. Yeah. You know why I believe in Genesis? Where is it? Where, 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 who was it? Uh, Jacob had the vision of angels ascending in. Do you remember that portion? Genesis 28. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says he woke from the dream. And the Bible says he feared. And he says, I did not know that the presence, this was the, the presence of the Lord. You know why Jacob feared? Because he was still Jacob. He wasn't Israel. His nature wasn't changed, right? In other words, fear will come upon you when you have a nature in you that is totally incompatible with the glory of God designed to be brought to bear upon you. Right? I don't want this building to, come, to crush. I'm saying, God, you know, I sense this. I'm sensing something different happen everywhere I go, where I minister. And all I can tell you, it's nothing more than the glory of God increasing. And God is keeping on telling me, I will increase your capacity to represent me exactly. My glory, but like steel, must be tested for its structural integrity to uphold weights. God is saying, I'm a heavyweight too. I've got massive glory. If you, Randolph Barnwell, are going to sustain me in my entirety in reference to everything I'm about to do in and through you, make sure nothing you, in you is compromising this integrity that is designed to uphold the immensity of my glory. Okay? It's of critical importance that you understand this. Anybody love God? Let me see your hands. Who loves God? Which of you would like to represent God more accurately, yeah? I'm sure we all do, right? Which of you want the glory of God to increase in your life? I'm sure we all do. But there's no claim to glory unless you create the environment for grace. And I'm saying to grace, context is righteousness, and righteousness requires that you be a man and a woman of the highest levels of integrity. Even Jacob at one stage said to his uncle Laban, says, let my, when the subject of my wages comes up, let my integrity answer for me. Yeah? And I want to encourage you, young women, Toria and others, young girls, Jerusha, you sitting there. I want to encourage you all. Jesse, live a life, even in your small, however young you are, say to yourself today, I'm going to live an upright life. You know why? When God sees that, God will say, glory, wait. And let me say this to you. You can fake 
many things in the spirit, but you can never ever fake glory. God's presence will rest and rest in you. Next week, what I'll do is, I don't have time for it now, I have 12 or so more benefits from the scriptures that the Bible speaks about the blessings of integrity. It will come to you. Amen? It will come to you. And things are going to be vastly different for you. No good thing will you withhold from them that walk uprightly. Let's bow it in prayer. I want to pray if you lift up your hands to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for everybody that is, has come. Father, we are challenged as equally as I am too by this word. Oh God, know our integrity. Weigh us with just scales. And if any of us here are, have failed you in any respect, I thank you that you are merciful. So I pray your forgiveness upon those who have failed you. And I want to encourage you, church, if you fail God at any level, today there is forgiveness. God doesn't judge you, but receive the mercy and the grace of our Lord today. Receive His mercy. And I'm asking for every one of us, let's make a, re a new resolve today, a new commitment today. God, I am going to be truthful. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be frank. There's going to be an honest candor about me. I will not cover up sin. I will not speak one thing and live another thing. I will not be corrupt. I will not submit to corruption, deceit, scheming, trickery, underhandedness of any kind, duplicity. But purity, veracity, probity, transparency, all of these things, God, I want to live pure before you. Because there's coming a weight of glory upon our persons and upon our corporate context as a church that God wants to represent to the world. I want to quote Psalm Proverbs 22 as we close verse 11. Keep your hands up. It says, He who loves purity of heart, his speech will be gracious and the king will be his friend. Such weight, such glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. God bless you.